Psalm 119, I'm having such a good time studying this out and just spending time in this psalm. And of course, this psalm is all about God's Word. It's divided into uh, 22 sections, all based on the Hebrew alphabet. Last week, we looked at the first three verses of the Daleth section, and so that's starting in verse 25. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive in. Lord, thank you for your word and the opportunity to preach it and teach it. And Lord, I pray that you're glorified by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's review verses 25 through 27. We looked at that uh, last week. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. And of course, we're made of dust and everything in us wants to go back to the earth. And if we, if the Lord doesn't return, all of us, we will, our body will be returned to that dust. But one of the things that this passage is talking about is the allure that the world has to us because of our flesh. We are simply drawn to the world. And so the text says, my soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. Quicken means to be made alive. The Bible in, the, in Ephesians says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's made us alive spiritually. Amen. I don't know if we really are alive spiritually today. <laughs> well, maybe we're alive spiritually, just not physically this morning. All right? So he, he has made us alive spiritually. And then verse 26, I have declared my ways, and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. Before we can declare the word to someone else, we must declare our ways to God. Confession, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That we, we confess, and the word confess means to agree with God. We agree with God about my ways. My ways are not God's ways. The Bible says, as high as the, the, the heavens are from the earth, so are God's ways above. He said, my ways above your ways. My ways are not God's ways. So I need to confess my ways to him, and then he will reveal his ways to me. And I'll know what to do. And we looked at that last week. Look at verse 27. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts, so shall I talk of thy wondrous works. So what are precepts? We know statutes. These are specific rules that God has given us. Precepts are those statutes that we need to teach to other people. Let me give you an example of a precept that we need to teach, a statute that we need to teach to someone else. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a statute that needs to be a precept for us. We need to teach that to someone else. How many of you know somebody that needs to learn that? They need to know that. Amen. We need to tell them that. So that's, that's verses 1 through 3. Now, this is, I'm sorry, the first three verses of this section. Look at verse 28 now. This is new for this week, and I want to read through the end of the chapter. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to thy word. Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. I have stuck unto thy testimonies. O Lord, put me not to shame. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. So now, this is such a fantastic passage of Scripture. I told Laura I couldn't wait to preach it to you all today. This is such a, a, a beautiful section. And how many of you already, that the poetry of it already, it's meaningful to you? It's different than the way that we would speak to each other. 
But look at verse uh, 28. My soul melteth for heaviness. My soul melteth for heaviness. What, what is that talking about? I couldn't help but read Spurgeon on this. Because if you know anything about Charles Spurgeon, he was a, a great preacher from the 1800s in England. But he, he struggled with depression for his whole life. He, there were times when he would have to leave the pulpit for three months at a time because he was under this horrible weight of depression. And, of course, living in England doesn't help that. You know, it's just dark and rainy most of the time. And so he'd go to the south of France and try to be in the sun and, and heal from this horrible depression that he dealt with. Another thing that, that struck me this morning, I mentioned it to Laura, he was just a year older than me when he died. And so, the man, I can't imagine only having another year to serve God. I just, and we're not promised another day. But it, it's just, that was very meaningful to me just thinking about that. But listen to what Spurgeon said. My soul melteth for heaviness. He was dissolving away in tears. The solid strength of his constitution was turning to liquid, as if molten by a furnace heat of his afflictions. Heaviness of soul is a killing thing, and when it abounds, it threatens to turn life into a long death, in which a man seems to drop away in a perpetual drip of grief. Tears are the distillation of the heart. When a man weeps, he wastes away his soul. Some of us know what great heaviness means, for we have been brought under its power again and again, and often have we felt ourselves to be poured out like water, and near to being like water, spilt upon the ground, never again to be gathered up. Now listen to what he says here. There is one good point in this downcast state, for it is better to be melted with grief than to be hardened by impenitence. You know, when we look at our own souls and we look at our own spiritual condition, I don't know about you guys, but it's often it brings me to tears. My own, the, the, the song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Why? Because my soul does cleave unto the dust. My soul is attached to this world. And Spurgeon describes that so well. The next part of the verse says, Strengthen thou me according to thy word. Back to Spurgeon. He said, he had found out an ancient promise that the saints shall be strengthened. And here he pleads it. His hope in his state of depression lies not in himself, but in his God. If he may be strengthened from on high, he will yet shake off his heaviness and rise to joy again. Observe how he pleads the promise of the word and asks for nothing more than to be dealt with after the recorded manner of the Lord of mercy. Had not Hannah sung, he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed? Now listen to this. This was really powerful to me. God strengthens us by infusing grace through his word. His word which creates can certainly sustain. Grace can enable us to bear the constant fret of an abiding sorrow. It can repair the decay caused by the perpetual teardrip and give to the believer the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Let us always resort to prayer in our desponding times, for it is the surest and shortest way out of the depths. In that prayer, let us plead nothing but the word of God, 
For there is no plea like a promise, no argument like a word from our covenant God. Isn't that good? Now, man, I praise God. I, depression is not something that is a part of my makeup. But there have been maybe two times in my life where I, where I have been so low that I feel like I can maybe understand what those of you who deal with depression go through. You see, those who don't deal with it can really think lightly of it. Those who genuinely deal with depression know that it can be a soul-crushing, despondent existence. I am so thankful that's, that of all the afflictions that we have in the human condition, that that's not one that I have to deal with. But here's what I know. Many of you do. Many of you do. And, and I just, I can't imagine not being able to minister for months at a time. But here's what I can look back on as a child. I remember times when my father, I'd come home from school and he'd just be laying on the couch. Wouldn't want to talk. Wouldn't want to have anything to do with anyone. And that would carry on for days and for days. We didn't understand it. Now I know that he was, he was being crushed by the anxiety, by, the, by the, the burden that comes from depression. And notice what the text says here. It says, my soul melteth for heaviness. Uh, I, I think back to when Isaiah saw God. Remember, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his, his, his train filled the temple. And he, he saw the cherubims flying around the altar, and he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, for I have seen the Lord. And when he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, that was, he, he was collapsing. He, he, he'd fall to the ground. He didn't have the strength to stand. He was he was falling apart. And that's the idea behind this, what, when, when David is saying this. Now, just as a, as a moment of humor, imagine a musician struggling with depression. Isn't it amazing how often artistic people, the people that can produce the beautiful things that we love to see and hear, the and, and I don't know about you all, I, I have often wished that I could do that. I wish that I could paint or draw, make something beautiful. I would produce whatever a computer would produce, right? How many of you want, well, I, Jacob, of course, would probably like to hug a computer, but no one else, Michael back there, the, the, the rest of us normal people, no, nobody wants to hug a computer. And nobody's looking for, listen, Unless you understand the beauty of the numbers and how it all works, and, and there is beauty in that, I guess. But those of us who really appreciate beauty, and, and, and we, we wish that we could express ourselves that way. When I read that from Spurgeon, I wish I could preach like that. I wish that I had it in me to formulate words in a way that could pierce people's hearts and help them to understand what the text is trying to say. I don't have that. 
And I wish I did. I wish I had a beautiful singing voice and the ability to, to make great music. But here's what I know. The people, many of the people, remember, every great gift comes with a burden. Y'all know that, right? Every great gift comes with a burden. I think of my friend Lawrence Vance, who's, who's so brilliant. And um, Jesse Morrow, uh, they, they've moved to Tennessee, but she's some kind of forensic psychiatrist or something. And she was explaining to me that when, when so the average IQ is 100. If a person has an IQ of 150, it's not just whatever the math is. I can't do the math. 50% faster. It's magnitudes faster. Have you all ever been talking to somebody and they bore you? Has that ever happened? Imagine if everyone in the world bored you. Would that be a hard existence? It'd be hard to have friends, wouldn't it? Every great gift comes with a great burden. Every great gift comes with... <laughs> Brent and Terry, something's happening over there that I probably don't want to know about right now. Someone's mocking. I, can, I know. Every great gift comes with a great burden. And David as a musician, his burden, of course. Can you imagine David, the pure Renaissance man? His da- Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. I picture Mel Gibson in Braveheart. You know, David could just walk into, you know, a, an army of thousands and stand on his own and fight thousand, a, a thousand men at a time. Can you imagine having that kind of physical ability? Those of us who do don't understand the rest of you. I, can you imagine being able to do that and write the Psalms? Unique man. But the, the, the giftedness that he had to do that came with a burden, and that burden, and you see it all through, the, all through the Psalms, that weight of depression. And his description here is so perfect. His soul is melting. He feels, let me say it this way. He feels like he's losing himself. What's the answer? Look at what it says. My soul melteth for heaviness. What's the next word? Strengthen. You know that there's strength in the Word of God. There's, and, and I know that there's a book, Strength for, your, for My Journey. There, there, is, there is strength for us in the Word of God because it's true. And so look at the way it says it. It says, Strengthen thou me according to thy word. Now, I praise God for counselors. And, and boy, the Bible tells us that there's safety in a multitude of counselors. And counseling is a good thing. I'm not diminishing it. It's a good thing. But the best counsel comes from God's word. The best counselors are those counselors that understand you and your trouble but they also understand God's word. When you can take those two things and put them together, I'm not saying that you're healed. Man, I wish that if you struggle with depression, that God would heal you from that. I wish, he, I, I, I wish that he would do that. But here's what we need to remember. Do you also want him to remove your giftedness? Because the people that are able to paint those beautiful pictures and love people deeply and understand the heart of mercy that is needed in the church, in order to have that often, 
along with the gift of mercy, the gift of creativity, the gift of the expression of beauty, along with that comes the burden of a melting soul. So what do we do? We ask God to help us. We ask God to strengthen us through his word. And can I make a promise to you? He will. He will strengthen you. Look at the next verse. Isn't it interesting? David is such an interesting person in his writing. And of course, it's the Holy Spirit writing these words through David. But this is such an interesting thing to me. And he, I want to, before we read this verse, go to Psalm 139. This is my favorite example of it. Psalm 139. Verse 17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more than the number of the sand... When I awake, I am still with thee. Isn't that beautiful? Look at the next verse. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. Verse 21. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It almost seems schizophrenic, doesn't it? But what's interesting, that ability, that ability to feel deeply, it expresses himself in the way, it expresses itself in the way that he wants to defend God and his word. That passion, it comes out in love and it comes out in hatred. That's, that's it. And what's interesting is it's a holy hatred. You know, we ought to hate those people that hate God. How do you balance that with love your enemies? Man, I don't know. I wish I did. I wish I did. That's why it has to be a spiritual exercise. Because it's very easy for me with my temperament that God gave me. It's very easy for me to hate the enemies of God. That's very easy for me. How do I love them? By exercising a love that I don't have, the love of God that he has commanded me to have. And so David, he's expressing this. And this is why I love the Psalms. Do y'all ever, be, be honest with me, how many of you, you actually find yourself in the Psalms often? And it expresses your heart. So go back to Psalm 119. This is one of those interesting times. Verse 28, my soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to thy word. Verse 29, remove from me the way of lying. Doesn't that seem like a non sequitur? Like it, it doesn't follow the thought of my, my soul melting. Here's why. We think of lying only as like when I identified myself with David as a great warrior. How many of you know that that's a lie? Right? We, we can see that immediately. That's what we think of as a lie. But remember in the Bible, things like hypocrisy. That's a lie. That's where, uh, that's where I put myself out as something when I am not that. And of course, as a preacher of God's word, that's always a danger, isn't it? You know, I, I, I preach righteousness to you as if I'm righteous. 
And all that we can say as preachers is, look, I've not arrived at this. My, the, my, the desire of my heart is to this, even though I've not gotten there yet. You understand that's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is me saying to you, someday you'll be like me. Someday if you work really hard and deny yourself, then you can be as righteous as me. That's disgusting, isn't it? That's that's not true. And it's so, we've seen it all through history. The Bible says, be careful. (laughs) Be careful. You exalt yourself, man, God is going to bring you low. And so all I can say is, man, I'm not righteous. I've not arrived. But the desire of my heart is to be righteous and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not hypocrisy. And yet all of us, how many of you often, you're in your own private time studying the Word of God and praying, and you know that you're going to go out. You're going to go to the school where you're a teacher or the factory where you work. You're going to go out into your business, and you're going to present yourself as a Christian and as a holy person when you know in your heart that you're not and that battle that rages in you, what is the psalmist saying here? Lord God, please let my life match my faith. Let this be more than something I say. Lord God, let it be real. And let me promise you something. Over time, over time, do you know what's going to happen? As you deny yourself, as you walk in the Spirit, as you, as you set the patterns of your life, we're going to see that here in the text in a minute. As you do that in your life, what you're going to find is that your heart genuinely is being drawn to God's heart. And little by little, that ultimate goal of Christ-likeness is being accomplished in your heart and life. Now, we know it's not going to be completed until we're out of this body. Amen? And yet, the longer you walk in the Christian life, if, will you, if you will submit to the Lord, you will become more and more like him. Praise God for that. Now, notice what it says. Remove from me the way of lying. And then what happens? Grant me thy law graciously. Grant me thy law graciously. How many of you would rather have God's law in grace than God's law in judgment? Wow. Because here's what happens. As a Christian, when, when I got saved, when, when I confessed my sin to Jesus Christ and believed in his death, burial, and resurrection and asked him to save me, when I did that, the Holy Spirit of God came and dwelt in me and has dwelt in me ever since. How many of you are thankful that he'll never leave you nor forsake you? That you're sealed until the day of the redemption of the purchased possession. He, he has us, listen, he, he's in us until we don't need it anymore when we have that new body. When we're completely sinless in Christ. Praise God. Right? So since that time, since that time, God is revealing his law graciously to me so that I can have peace. So things like this. How many of you know that living in righteousness is actually better for you physically than living in sin? Right? So what is he doing? He's revealing his law graciously to me so that I can have peace and joy. What a blessing that is. When he reveals his law and judgment, boy, that's something that's completely different. If you violate the righteous laws of God, you will bear in your body the results of that sin. That's what Romans 1 is all about. 
How many of you, you, it's so interesting. So like I said, I'm 57 years old. You know, I could eat better, I could exercise more, but because of the things that I don't put into my body and I don't do with my body, then I look like this. Then I look at somebody who has absolutely abused their body with drugs or with other things that are my same age, and they look completely different. Is that because I'm better? No, it's because God revealed his law graciously to me. Isn't that a blessing? Now, some of you young people might be saying, if that's the result of righteousness, I don't want that. I understand. Just imagine how bad I could look. That's all I can say. It's such an amazing thing when we surrender to God's plan, his will that's revealed in the scriptures, what grace actually does in our lives. Praise God for that. Look at the next verse. I like verse 30. Pretty interesting. Look at at the way it says it. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. I've chosen the way of truth. Here's the thing that we need to remember. We're not robots. We're we're not destined. This, This idea that we are moist robots, that we are living in this world according to the the determination of our DNA. That's what the kids are being told today. That is not true. You see, we all come to that fork in the road where we choose righteousness or unrighteousness, and there are many forks in the road. And we need to choose the way of righteousness, not the way of sin. I always think about Yogi Berra. He said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. That's not helpful. You see, young people, the way of righteousness is a choice. How are you going to find that way of righteousness? Folks that are about to retire, the way of righteousness is a choice. Well, you can do it the rest of your life. You see, there are people that they retire from work and they also retire from God. That's a horrible thing. We need to serve God with all of our days. You know, you can serve God in retirement as well as you can serve God at at, at the workplace. You see, it's a choice. And so how do I know what that is? Look what the text says. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. So we're going to... Lord willing, go on vacation here in a couple of weeks. How many of you, it's really hard for you to work the couple of weeks before you go on vacation. <laughs> That's a, my, my mind's already wanting to check out. And so here's what Laura will do. Even though we're going to get on Highway 70, and we're going to take Highway 70 all the way to the destination. There's one road. Okay? She's going to get the map out and study every detail of the map on the way there. How many of you are like that? You're going to do that. Okay? There's like six of you. The rest of you are perfect. No, so she's going to study every detail of that. Why? Because she wants to know what's there. What are we going to look at? What are we going to miss if we don't go? How am I going to know the way of truth? How am I going to know that? Look at, look at the way the word says it. I, verse, 12, verse 30, I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before thee. Now, notice the words, the words that are used here. So in verse 25, you have the word. We know what that is. And then you you have, I have declared my ways. Teach me thy statutes. 
So remember what those statutes are. Those are God's established laws, his rules. And then verse 27, make me to understand thy precepts. Remember, these are the 10 words that are used all through Psalm 119 to describe his word, different components of it. Those precepts are the statutes that I need to tell someone else. And then verse 28, again, we have back to the word. That's the whole counsel of God. Verse 29, remove from me the way of lying. Grant me thy law graciously. That's what we learn from the law of God. And then verse 30, I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. So remember what those judgments are. Those judgments are the legal declarations of the judge. These are the judge's rulings about the world and about the ways that we can go. So if, if you're, you're going to go uh, skiing and you, you, you look at the map and you've got one that's the bunny slope and that's where you learn, I don't know if any of you have skied, but that's where you learn to do the snow plow and you just, you, you try not to fall. It's real easy. It's just, just a very little bit. And then there's these black diamond slopes. We took my friend Kenny Flickinger skiing one time. And we took him down the bunny slope a couple of times, and then we went up to the black diamond, which was really mean. And so you get off the lift, and you don't even know where you're going. You get off the lift, and you have to get off fast because people are coming off the lift behind you. And you you ski around, and then it's a straight drop. It's got to be 20 feet. And you just go off it. And then you you hit the slope and you start going. So we all go off and Kenny's the last one. And we turn around and we see he's laying on the ground. His feet are dangling and he's screaming, I hate you guys. What should he have done? He should have looked at the judgment that the designer of the ski place had placed on that way. You see, when you go into life, there are some ways that you can go. You can, you can go into debt right away. And you're trying to have a house, you're trying to have a marriage, and now you're, you're being crushed under debt because you went the wrong way in that. And you should have looked at God's judgment on living that way. Does that make sense? It could be the student loan. That, that, so you go to school and you get $200,000 in student loan loans to start at $36,000 as a teacher. Someone should have told you that that's the wrong way. There's a judgment on that way. And all of us, we need to know that God's way is not our way. And if I lay God's judgments before me, then God will preserve me in the way of truth, not in some false lie that the world wants to tell me. I know false lie is redundant, but let's go on. Verse 30, I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. Verse 31, I love this. I have stuck unto thy testimonies. Now, what are the testimonies? Remember, we've looked at statutes and precepts. Testimonies are what the Bible tells us about how people have handled God's judgments. People, here's the testimony. You do what God says, it's good for you. You go against what God says, it's bad for you. That's a testimony. I, I tried this. Don't do this. Don't do this at home. Uh, Logan had Jacob and they were trying to cook and he had some kind of a recipe that had turkey and blueberries were in there somewhere. How many of you know immediately that this is a bad idea? Okay, so now his testimony can be don't put blueberries and turkey and whatever else was in it together. That's a testimony. That's what testimonies are. Now look at what it says. 
I have stuck under thy testimonies. I can't help it. Here's what I think of when I see that. I am stuck on Band-Aid because Band-Aid stuck on me. Y'all remember that? Right? That's the way our life is supposed to be. That what, when I don't know what to, so my life as I go out, I'm, I'm choosing the way of truth. How do I do that? I am stuck to God's testimonies. I'm not getting away from it. This is my life. Why? Because I've chosen the way of truth. I have stuck unto thy testimonies. It's interesting. Look at the, look at the, the last phrase there of that verse. Oh, Lord, put me not to shame. What is that talking about? If I, if I do God's testimonies, then there should be no reason for shame. What he's saying is, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Don't let me down. I'm choosing to live according to you. Now, I am going to prove your word is true. Don't let me be ashamed. How many of you have ever found it hard? Be honest. You have found it hard to trust God's word in a certain situation. Has he ever proved you wrong for trusting him? I love it. David is, I've chosen this. This is what I'm going to do. God, please don't let me down. Then look at what it says. I love this. Verse 32. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Okay, so I want you to notice something. The Bible makes it very clear that God reveals his truth to us as we do his word. When, when he reveals something to us and we obey that and live it and do it, then he reveals more truth to us. Do you all agree with that? I mean, that, that's a clear teaching of scripture. So here's what David says. I'm going to run. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go. I'm not going to limp. I'm not going to halt. I'm not going to, to, to crawl. I am going to run according to your word. Do you know what that is? That is absolute faith. That is absolute faith. Man, you watch these people. You watch them. It's crazy. People jump off cliffs and stuff into water. Man, I am not a daredevil. I'm the one saying, not me, man. Uh-uh. And you watch these people. And they just run off the cliff. Apparently, they have faith that there's no rocks in that water. They have faith that everything's going to be okay. You know, even in the Christian life, there are some people, your natural bent is to run. I'm gone. I got this. I'm going. That's your natural bent. There's others, and you're fearful. You're fearful. You need to say, I am stuck unto thy, thy, thy statutes. I'm stuck unto thy testimonies. I'm going to run. But notice where the strength has to come for the running. Enlarge my heart. I, I saw or read or something years ago about a famous racehorse. I don't remember which one it was. It might have been Secretariat. I don't remember. That really dominated all the other horses. And when the horse died, they did an autopsy. And this horse's heart was, I don't remember, two or three times larger than all the other horses. How many of you have heard about that? Right? And so that horse had more stamina than the other horses. So that horse could run better. It's interesting that that's the way the Bible says it here. See, because here's what David understood. That his life following the Lord is always a heart issue. And I want all of you to see that it is always a heart issue. 
Look at the way that David has handled it so far. Look at verse 2. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with, what does it say? How much of your heart? The whole heart. Look at verse 7. I will praise thee with, what's this next word? Uprightness of heart. Uprightness of heart. Why does it need to be uprightness of heart? Because your heart will lie to you. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your heart will lie to you. So I need to, to, to follow him with uprightness of heart. Praise him with uprightness of heart. Then look at what it says in verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart. We need God's word in our hearts. This is He's already dealt with these heart issues. David's work was heart work. Verse 32. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. It's interesting. The two words that David uses the most so far to describe this situation is his soul and his heart. Look at verse 25. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Look at verse 20. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. So his, his soul is cleaving to the earth. His soul is breaking for longing for God's word. Look at verse 81. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. My soul fainteth. Look at verse 109. My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy law. His soul is in his hand. That's interesting. What is that? He's examining it. He's examining who he really is. Remember what the soul is. Your soul is the seat of your emotions. It's who you are. Look at page 167. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. Man, isn't this our goal? Our goal is into the, 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 the seat of our emotions, that that's stuck to God's testimonies. Look at verse 175. Let my soul live, and it shall praise thee. See, what David understood was that most people in the world never even consider their soul. They never consider it. What, what does the Bible say? Oh, fool. This night your soul shall be required of thee. When God created us, he created man a living soul. That's who you are. And science tries to say that we're just the result of biological actions. Well, go ahead and ask somebody what the soul is then. What is consciousness? What is that? Science can't give that to us. God gave that to us. That's who you are. And David understood that his work is heart work, that he has to deal with his soul. And the only way that we can do that is if we are spiritually alive to God's word. And that happens when we're born again, when we are quickened. Now, I want you to notice something that's so interesting. Look at the progression in this passage. This section of eight verses, look at verse 25. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. That's the idea of face down struggling with the world, isn't it? But by the end of this section, he's running for God. He's running for God. What is the difference? What happened when I am so ensnared and entangled with this world that I can't move? I feel like I'm mired in that clay. I can't go. Well, when I cry out to God, my soul, my soul is melting in me. I start to get strength from God. 
I choose the way of truth. I put away hypocrisy. I put away lying. I put away vain imaginations. I'm putting all of that away under the authority of God's word. I'm choosing the way of truth. I'm sticking to God's testimonies, and I choose to run. I'm not going to walk. I'm not going to limp. I'm not going to crawl. I'm going to run for God when he enlarges my heart. When God gives me the capacity to run. Do you know that's what God's word does for us? And remember, I've got the verse on the back walls. I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. Glorifying God by loving his word. It's so interesting in all of these passages, when we get to Paul's writings, it's let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that you might be renewed in the spirit of your mind by the washing of water by the word, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. It's no, no, no. These things have I written unto you that you might know that you have eternal life. And yet here in David's life, And he's expressing to us his word. Here's what he's saying. Love. 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 See, before we can know how to use God's word, we've got to love God and his word. That's got to be the heartbeat behind all of it. How many of you want to run for the Lord? If you want to run for the Lord, stand up. (laughs) You want to, or you just want to go home. Stand up. You want to run for the Lord today. Well, man, some of you, your heart might be melting right now. Your soul is melting in you. God will strengthen you through his word. I promise you, he will strengthen you through his word. Man, let's run as a church. Let's run not based on hatred for the culture. Let's run based on love for God. And understand that all the problems in the world are solved by the love of God. All of them. All of them. Why? Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And that's what he did for us. That's the message the world needs. The message doesn't need to hear what I think about masks. I'm sorry. The world doesn't need to know what I think about masks. The world doesn't need to know what I think about Black Lives Matter. The world doesn't know what I need to think about that. The world needs to know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Folks, let's not be so consumed by the news cycle that we forget the love of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for you. Lord, there might be someone here this morning when I'm talking about eternal life. They don't know about it. They're not sure that if they died today, they'd go to heaven. Lord, I pray today that they will trust you as Savior. And Lord, the rest of us, Lord, I know there are people here whose heart is melting and they deal with that constantly. Lord, I pray they'll be strengthened by your word and know they're not alone.